This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 91, Giant Piles of Cash. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode. I am your host, Holly Bach, and here with me in the studio today is Mark Willis. Hey, Holly. I just, I mean, the, the title of this episode, what else can we say? Giant piles of cash. <laughs> yeah, it's catchy. That's the point, Mark. Wow. Yeah, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what else to say. You know, <laughs> free trip to Hawaii. How about next episode? All right. Yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, no, yeah. So, I mean, for, for anyone who listened to our last episode, you kind of have an idea of where we're going uh, with this. We kind of introduced the new mini-series that we're in the middle of right now, um, having to do with, you know, lump sums of cash or giant piles of cash. Let's just say that as many times as possible. I exactly. Like <laughs> so, you know, we're talking about kind of this, you know, good problem to have. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it happens, you know, people have, for one reason or another, kind of these giant piles of cash uh, sitting around that they're just wondering what to do with. And so that is what uh, we're going to be. We we don't we started diving into last episode and we're going to continue uh, with this episode as well. So uh, we call it a problem though. We've been calling this a good problem to have, right? So Yes, there is a problem with holding on to a large lump of cash. Um, might seem to some people um, that it, you know, it's it's all good. You know, nothing but good can come out of having, uh, you know, giant piles of cash. Ching ching. <laughs> um, but no, there are still problems even with that good problem. So if it's in a bank account or a brokerage account, we've got some problems there. It's going to be exposed to creditors and predators. It's subject to the whims of the interest rates of which vehicles you may have put your cash into. So mm. either super, super low um, interest rates like a savings account or maybe it's volatile like in a brokerage account. It's also going to be taxable each year. Um, you know, Each and every year, whatever those gains were, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. Whether you took it out or enjoyed it or not, um, you're still going to have to pay the taxes on it. So Uncle Sam says, you know, you owe him no matter what, pretty much. Wow. Um, and so really what we found that there are really four key challenges that are facing, uh, you know, many savers today or really all savers today. Um, you know, the very first of those problems is, again, what I just kind of brought up, the low interest rates that um, kind of the low interest rate environment we're sitting in and is particularly hitting uh, savings accounts, CDs and money market accounts um, the worst. I mean, they're just sitting there with virtually, um, you know, no growth happening to them, essentially. So this is causing many people that are in retirement to have to start eating into their principal um, in order to be able to live off, you know, what they've saved, or they're having to take on more risk than they otherwise would have, or are even maybe perhaps comfortable with because they have to be chasing a greater than a 1% return in order for their money to last them, you know, um, through you know, kind of the, the rest of their years. So sort of a rock and a hard place situation there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so number two, if you have been successful, let's say, in socking away money into a tax qualified plan like a 401k or IRA, then the government's going to ask for a required 
that's the key word here, required minimum distribution. What that means is they're going to force people in their later retirement years to take money out of those accounts, even if they don't want that money to be taken out and needlessly require that they pay taxes on that money. So a lot of our uh, senior clients, for example, want to leave that money in there for a spouse or for some for their heirs. Uh, but those required distributions are forcing them to get money out of savings or investments and into a text uh, environment. Yep. And then the third problem here that we're seeing uh, many savers kind of face today is how to pay for long-term care expenses. Um, I mean, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they have shown that um, at least 70% of people over the age of 75 will require long-term care services at some point. Wow. Um, so they're they're going to need, you know, of course, obviously, there can be variability in that as to how long and the extent of the care, but they're going to need some type of long-term care. Um, and more than 40% of them uh, will need nursing home care specifically, which is, you know, obviously a much more um, intensive and expensive um, type of long-term care. So based on the average cost of a private nursing home and the average length of stay, you would need more than $250,000 to kind of cover a you know, nursing home stay. And many people don't realize that Medicare does not pay your long-term care expenses. So if there's anyone that's just kind of thinking they're going to, you know, sit back and like, oh, well, at that point in my life, you know, Medicare is going to take care of me or take care of that aspect, that may not necessarily be the case. No, it's certainly not the case at this moment. Uh, Medicare does not cover those, sure. So in the fourth and final uh, concern or problem savers have is that they have this real fear that they might outlive their money. I mean, that's a real fear. We had a whole episode on this, episode 79, the hidden problem of living too long. Uh, many financial planners will base the entire financial plan on you living to age 85, let's say. You know, they, they figure, hey, a man age 65 might make it to 83 years old. A uh, 65-year-old woman might go to 85 years old. But those are just averages, guys, averages, uh, which we're not average around here. So, you know, average life expectancy doesn't tell me how long you're going to live. Uh, so we try to over-engineer any financial plan to make it much longer. But the reality is most people come to us with money that's going to run dry in their mid-80s for a lot of them. Uh, so according to the Social Security Administration, the reality is that 25% of people who are turning 65 years old today are going to live past 90 years old. Live past 90 years old. And one out of 10 people today will make it past age 95. What if you go past 100 years old? Do you have, I mean, that's an awesome, um, you know, achievement for sure. But what if you have to rely on your family for the last 15 years of your life? That's not going to be a great, uh, you know, I guess, legacy to leave. Doesn't it make sense to plan for your money to last as long as you might or even beyond what you might? Uh, and so that's really with these problems, it's really hard to know what to do. You know, we've got our money stashed away in different vehicles, but where's the right place to keep our cash? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so on, on top of all this, many people who are age 60 to 85 come to us kind of, you know, making some sort of comment to the, um, you know, kind of similar to, you know, we, we love your podcast. We love this concept. Um, we kind of love this idea of bank on yourself, but we're, you know, we're obviously not going to get approved. We've got, you know, too many candles on our birthday cake. We're just kind of too far 
too far along in our lives. And we're not totally sure where this idea comes from. Um, I mean, many of our clients are over um, age 60 and they're starting policies all the time. I mean, it's, I mean I'm mean, i sure it's like some, uh, to some extent, just thinking about life insurance and that life insurance has effects based on your age. But I mean, other than that, there's really no reason for people to um, kind of have this, have it ingrained in their mind that it's not possible past a certain age. So, you know, we want to say kind of once and for all that you can start policies designed this bank on yourself way and your cash value will still grow extremely well, even in your later years. So, I mean, of course, we don't pretend the age doesn't matter. But what we do is we just um, build your policy to suit your age and to make sure that it still accumulates cash. Um, In order to do that, we just simply kind of squeeze a little harder on the death benefit. So to say that another way, if you're age 60 to 85, you know, rather than someone who's younger, let's say 20 or 35, um, and you're going to be the insured on the policy, well, all we would have to do is just design your policy with a proportionally smaller death benefit, and your cash value will still be allowed to grow just as well as any other plan. So really kind of the only trade-off here is just your death benefit, but it doesn't affect your actual cash Mm -hmm. per se. Yeah, that's such a good, so that reminds me of a story, Holly. I worked with a gentleman recently to start his very first bank on yourself type whole life policy at age 78. Holy smokes, that's awesome. Uh, He's got more energy in his pinky finger than I've got running through my whole body right now. So he's like out there doing racing sports cars. He's just absolutely crushing it in his business. He's just like taking the bone marrow, sucking it right out of uh, out of life. You know, it's just amazing what he's doing. I can only hope to keep up with this guy at my age, not to mention where he is today. So he's truly the guy that coined the phrase, age is just a number. <laughs> so even at his age, youthful age of age 78, his policy's cash value and his death benefit is growing like gangbusters. He's building up wealth for him, himself, his wife, his family. So, you know, most traditional whole life policies require these big monthly Uh, or annual payments. And it can take a number of years just to accumulate gains inside those policies. So, you know, most old-fashioned whole life policies might take 20 plus years just to break even. Uh, And even well-designed bank-on-yourself policies built to flood your policy with cash early on might take, you know, five, seven, 10 years even just to break even, at least three to four years to show some yearly gains. So, you know, it might or might not be uh, appropriate to do a a long range financial plan with someone who's uh, such as he was at age 78. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest. I mean, when you're entering your best years, you don't want to wait those years, those number of years um, to grow cash inside a policy. Uh, Maybe you and maybe even on top of that, you've already saved up your nest egg that you're going to be needing for retirement, Uh, possibly in a CD, in bonds, IRAs, you know, kind of facing the four problems that we just mentioned uh, a moment ago. So what do you do with a lump sum and you don't want to wait years for your policy to grow? Um, I mean, really, can bank on yourself still be a solution for people in these in these types of situations? The answer is yes. What? I yeah. never saw that coming. <laughs> what if you could move your lump sum into a bank on yourself type designed uh, dividend paying whole life insurance policy, but had no ongoing commitment? What if you had no regular monthly, no regular annual payment? What if it was just a one-time drop-in, a lump sum that could serve as your single and only contribution? This would be the only premium you'd ever pay into this policy. What if that uh, lump sum could instantly and immediately create a death benefit, which is going to be larger than your contribution uh, to leave your family? 
and it could simultaneously give you the biggest and most cash value you could ever receive with a whole life policy. What if being age 60 to age 85 years old uh, and, and applying for a life insurance policy was an advantage rather than a disadvantage? What if it could work for your advantage, your age, instead of being a disadvantage? This is a strategy we've not really talked about much on this podcast yet, but we're here to do it today. So we're talking about the bank on yourself single premium solution. So what the heck is it, Holly? Tell us all about it. Yeah. So kind of as its name would indicate, it's a single premium dividend paying whole life insurance policy funded with a one time only lump sum premium. So single premium, it only takes a We try to keep it complicated premium. around here. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So your cash value, um, you know, based on the financial strength of the particular insurance company it's with, grows by a guaranteed and predictable amount every year, even when the markets are tumbling. So a lot of this is going to sound like repeat to our um, study listeners. I mean, because this policy is still going to function and essentially... Built the same chassis as underneath it all. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to function essentially in all the same ways as our traditional policies. It's just funded with a single premium version versus ongoing contributions and premiums like our quote-unquote traditional plans. So, I mean, these are all things you've heard before. Um, you also have the potential to receive dividends, which aren't guaranteed, but we're working with companies that only have the best track records of paying out dividends for at least 100 years. Um, and these are, you know, these companies are really among the financially strongest in the country. Country, uh, Both your principal and growth are locked in. Your policy doesn't lose value when the market goes down. Awesome. I mean, again, you guys have heard this before. So our, our policy is going to be functioning essentially the same. Um, a bank on yourself, single premium plan can be appropriate for people between the ages of 60 and 85, like we've mentioned, uh, depending on your unique situation. Um, if you're concerned about health problems, of course, don't rule yourself out. Um, underwriting requirements for these policies are easier to meet. Uh, besides, you also don't even have to be the person named as the insured on the policy. Um, you can always name a spouse, a child, a grandchild. Um, any of them can be used and you know would maybe perhaps be better uh, to meet those requirements. As long as you're the owner of the policy, you're in control of the policy and get to call all the shots about the policy and what happens to the money inside. Um, and we'll talk more in just a moment about why being over age 60 when you start this type of policy actually works to your advantage versus your disadvantage. I can't wait to be 60 years old. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait to be that old curmudgeon grandpa. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> so so let's talk about the death benefit for a minute on these policies. So um, it is always higher, and I say always very rarely, uh, but it is always higher than the money you put into the policy, your single premium. So unlike other assets, it's immediately going to be more valuable the day after you get it uh, than when you bought it. So in other words, if I put $100,000 in a CD, in a savings account, let's say, how much is it worth tomorrow? Well, it's still worth $100,000. What if I pass away tomorrow? Well, it'll still be worth $100,000. If I have $100,000 in my taxable IRA and I leave it to my two children, they're each going to get a taxable inheritance, which is going to be, you know, 100000 divided by two kids is 50000 minus the taxes due on that 50000 So each kid is going to get forty grand, And the IRS, by the way, gets to keep the other twenty grand. Whoopee. So imagine at age 70, you were smart enough to put $100,000 into a bank on yourself, single premium solution. And God forbid, but let's say you passed away the very next day. According to one of the companies that we work with on this strategy, your family is going to get $150,000 income tax-free. That's 50% rate of return. Now, not that we want you to go doing that, but 
the death benefit continues to grow. So the first year it's at 150,000, but every year you keep with us on this side of heaven, so to speak, and defer getting your wings, you're gonna see a bigger and bigger value for your family. So cool. So in addition, there's no other whole life policy that has this much cash value in the very first year. For that 70 year old that put in the $100,000, as we mentioned, as his one and only payment premium, his cash value day one within about 30 days of starting the policy is $95,000. And it's 102,500 by year three. So in year three, his death benefit is already up to 155 grand. And in just three short years, he's already put, uh, he has more in the policy's cash value, 102,000, which is more than the 100 grand he put into the policy. And by year 10, that cash value has already bumped up to $135,000. So that is a powerful uh, increasing asset for your lifetime. And the death benefit has increased all the way up to $176,000 for when you pass away. So if you'd like to see one of these examples, we did include a spreadsheet of this uh, on our show notes. We included a different person's age and numbers just to give you a different sampling of how this policy typically works. But what I love to see is that there's one payment going in in year one and then $0 going into the policy for the rest of the person's lifetime. So check that out on our show notes, which you should be able to find on any podcast player you're listening to. So if, you, you know, if that's not enough to get you interested, I don't know what will, uh, but let's take it even a step further, Holly. You know, show us how, how far this could go, this concept. Yeah. So, I mean, not only do you get all the advantages and and things that uh, Mark just mentioned, but in addition to that, you know, what if we could use this death benefit in certain circumstances to help provide um, some dignity and cash for you if you ever needed assistance and care in your later years? So as we mentioned earlier, 70% of couples will need long-term care, and that could cost as much as $250,000 or more. So a long-term care type benefit is actually included on these particular policies at no additional cost um, to these, you know, bank on yourself single premium policies in most states. And it's not just for stays in a long-term care facility. You can actually also use this benefit for home health care, which is what many people um, would actually prefer um, these days. So the coverage can last up to 36 months, which is longer than the average stay in a nursing home. And we're honestly like this, this particular rider and benefit is so um, unique and incredible in what it can do and the flexibility it provides that we're actually probably going to be trying to do a whole episode on this alone in the future, um, just to give people a super, super crystal clear picture of what it can, what all it can do for you. Um, but this is an asset that you can spend that is instantly more than what you saved. And for many, solves the problem of not having saved enough or anything uh, for this potentially crushing expense that could come up in your later years. Yeah. Um, and many people um, that have actually talked to us, they'll come to us saying that they want a long-term care insurance policy, like a, just a straight up long-term care policy. But then they look at this option and they actually see this as a more cost-effective alternative than just a straight insurance policy. Because um, at the end of it all, it allows you to leave more to your spouse and children. It's not just a singular purpose policy, just kind of like sucking all your cash. Um, so it's it's really pretty powerful. So you've just given me uh, another reason to just can't wait to get to age 60. <laughs> now, technically, you could start these at any age, but I just use that as an example. But yeah, but there's got to be some downside to this, right? I mean, um, why, why, 
Why isn't this something that we should just automatically do with every last penny in our life? <laughs> well, we never recommend doing anything with every last penny in your life, no matter how cool it is. But let's talk about some of the drawbacks and considerations of this single premium strategy. So this, this savvy single premium whole life policy does have a little bit of interesting uh, tax history to it. In 1986, Congress passed some major tax reforms that limited how much the very, very wealthy among us could dodge taxes in some, some rather complicated real estate syndications that they were involved with. Uh, so, of course, the wealthy, you know, uh, upset about this uh, tax loophole that was taken away, went to their CPAs. They asked for more tax avoidance schemes. And the best CPAs out there recommended that their wealthiest clients take this huge lump sum out of their real estate and put it into this little known, you know, corner of the financial universe called a single premium whole life insurance policy. So, by the way, just a quick side note, banks and corporations are still doing this to this day. Uh, as, as we were doing some research on this, Corporate-owned life insurance was like at $23 billion of cash value, and bank-owned life insurance totaled $169 billion in cash value, according to an Equius uh, report that was put out. That's almost $200 billion between them in cash. So what do they know that we don't, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, of course, this strategy effectively allowed the policy to function like a big, fat tax shelter for millions of Americans. And however, Congress did not agree that life insurance should be used in some sort of a tax avoidance scheme. So they passed this secondary law called the Technical and Miscellaneous Revenue Act of 1988. Uh, boy, that just sounds like something from the Atari days, you know, TAMRA, the TAMRA Act of 1988. So when Congress sees money slipping through their fingers, they're going to go try their best to catch it. And so in 1988, just two years after that first tax reform, they passed that second set of reforms, including the TAMRA Act, which did change the tax status of these single premium whole life policies. So let's get into a little bit about what those tax changes are and how they're different from, you know, kind of your annual or monthly bank on yourself type policies. Holly? Mm -hmm. Yep. So as we've discussed in a previous episodes and, you know, kind of one of the... Um, I mean, just great things about bank on yourself type policies and life insurance is that it has provided consumers with a tax-free avenue of growth within the policy that could be accessed at any time for any reason. Um, but through the TAMRA Act, Congress did end up placing limits on the amount of money that can be put into a life insurance policy. And all cash value policies are now subject to what's called the seven pay test. And the seven pay test is exactly what is putting those limits um, on the tax benefits of cash value withdrawal. So policies that fail this test are now classified as what are called modified endowment contracts or MECs. Okay, you got to explain <laughs> MEC. All right, what is a MEC? <laughs> yes, so this, this act created the MEC. Um, before this law was passed, all withdrawals from any cash value life insurance policy were taxed on what's called first in, first out, or a FIFO basis. Um, this meant that the original contributions that constituted a tax-free return of principal were with withdrawn before any of the earnings. So what does that mean? It means any money you put into the policy, they're going to say, you know, when you take it, when you take money out, they're going to say, oh, well, you're just taking out what you put in first. And then you're not going to be getting to your earnings until you've taken out, you know, everything that you already put into it. Yeah. So that's kind of like how FIFO yeah. looks. And and maybe another way to, to just visualize this in your mind, imagine you've got a, a big barrel drum and you've been pouring in um, milk, let's say, and on the top of that, that uh, drum, you've got uh, some froth or cream at the top. So what FIFO is saying is you could put a little, uh, you could put a little, 
oh, like a spigot at the bottom of that bucket and drain out the milk first before the cream comes out. So the first in, first out. So you put in the milk first, the milk is gonna come out first, leaving the cream behind. Okay, what is the cream in this example? It's the gains. It's what's grown uh, since you put your your uh, money into the policy. Mm -hmm. The okay. dollars that aren't yours per se, you know, it came from the growth of the policy. Uh, but Tamara, that particular act, placed limits on the amount of premium that a policy owner could pay into the policy and still receive that first in, first out tax treatment. So any policy that receives premiums in excess of these limits automatically becomes a MEC. And so all single premium policies are now classified as MECs. Uh, flexible premium policies also have to pass this seven pay test in order to avoid the MEC status. So this test caps the amount of premium that can be paid into even our traditional and our regular, um, you know, kind of bank on yourself type policies over a period period of seven years. Got it. Yeah. So any anything that uh, we put into a MEC, we're doing intentionally and only if we absolutely think it's the right thing to do. Uh, so once you put money into a MEC or MEC or single premium policy, they're going to have uh, a, a watchdog on the policy from the insurance company, uh, and they're going to keep an eye on it. And if you take money from that account, if there are gains, then those gains would come out first, and those would be reported as taxable. Uh, and then anything above your gains that come out of the policy uh, would be reported as not taxable. So just a return of your premium. So back to my bucket analogy or, or barrel analogy, instead of having a spigot at the bottom of this barrel, we're just taking spoonfuls out of the top. So we're taking the cream out first, the gains come out first. The gains are taxable since those are new dollars to you and to your policy. Uh, so that's something to be aware of with MEC policies. And, and actually, if you're younger than 59 and a half, you've got to pay a 10% penalty for early withdrawal. One more reason to be uh, uh, to be looking forward to being age 60, Holly. So, <laughs> uh, so what does any of this mean? Gains are not taxed until you take them out. Until then, they're going to grow tax deferred. So this makes it possible to avoid paying taxes on the growth each year. Again, comparing this to, say, a CD where you might be taxable every year uh, on a CD or a savings account. Uh, so anytime we do take money out of the, uh, the account, gains that exceed my cost basis, the money I paid in, are going to be taxable. So until then, the, the cash value that exceeds the basis, taking a loan or withdrawal does not take or create a taxable event. So again, back to our example of our 70-year-old, if he put in $100,000 into his policy and then the next afternoon or 30 days later took a loan from his policy, there'd be no gains. So there'd be no taxes due. So that's just something to consider and think about. So if you really think about it, gains start showing up on single premium policies around year three uh, in these super duper monster whole life policies. So someone that's younger than 59 and a half, if they have one of these policies, the gains might be taxed with a 10% penalty. But if, as we said, if you're over 60, you're not going to get hit with that 10% penalty. So here's that one rare example of waiting to get life insurance until you're a senior makes all kinds of sense. Not that we recommend waiting, of course. <laughs> so mechs aren't something that you should be afraid of. However, they really should be a tool that's used intentionally. And, you know, Holly, I know you've come across this too, but, you know, we've both unfortunately met with individuals who thought they had a bank on yourself designed policy only to find out that their policy was a mech, not by, desi not by design, but because the agent who set up that policy didn't know what he or she was doing. So most of, what do you think, maybe 75, 85% of our policy clients are uh, not using mech policies, but there are some examples where mech policies do make sense. Mm-hmm. 
You know, non-MEC policies are great if you don't mind funding the policy for several years. The policy is going to grow tax-deferred. You can access the principal and the gains completely tax-free under current law. So don't let a life insurance agent practice their design skills on you. You really want to work with someone who's done this a few times. You know, what do you call a... <laughs> so here's a joke. Uh, what do you call a heart surgeon who graduated last in his class? Give up, doctor. You still call him doctor. Like heart surgery, you want someone who has successfully performed hundreds or thousands of operations. Don't just work with someone just because they're called a life insurance agent or a financial professional or a CPA. They may or may not know all the intricacies of how these things work, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the the single premium solution still offers a lot of viable uh, scenarios for people. Like you said, we still have clients even, I mean, obviously we make them overwhelmingly and abundantly clear on the MEC status that the policy will have, and they still want to move forward with them. And there's a number of reasons why it can still make sense, um, especially I know for people that are particularly concerned with death benefit, they say, mm-hmm. hey, yep. you know, I want to have access to this money just in case I end up needing it. But but I, that's not my primary goal. My primary goal here is that you're leaving that legacy or something like that. I mean, I know that's one like super classic example, and there's even more than that. I mean, because this single premium solution offers this massive pool of cash for just about anything, um, especially even real estate investing, uh, like we've talked about before. So, you know, we actually had a client who was 61 years old when uh, she started her single premium policy and funded her policy by selling her condo in downtown Chicago. So she sold a condo took the net proceeds, which was $211,000 in her situation, and she put that into a policy. Oh, yeah. I know the story. This is so cool. All right. Keep going. Yeah. Into a single premium policy. Within two weeks of starting her policy, so she took the $211,000, put it in. Two weeks later, she'd actually found a new real estate rental property that she um, wanted to capitalize on and took a maximum loan for about $180,000 from the policy. So she now has the property appreciating in her neighborhood, and her policy is growing even on the $180,000 she borrowed. Wow. And her tenant in the rental property is paying her rent, which is also paying off her policy loan for her. So, I mean, again, another scenario where even though this was a mech, she took it two weeks later, so she actually didn't even have to worry about any any tax implications in this particular scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, her starting death benefit was 448000 Yeah. So we we did change her name, of course, and all those details, but we did put some of those numbers on the show notes if you guys want to take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So um, again, just another kind of case study and example of how these single premium solutions can be used. And there's a lot of different uh, scenarios for that. You know, we'd love to discuss your particular situation with you and see what might make the most sense in your scenario. Um, but that is all that we have time for for our episode here today. So just want to thank you all for joining joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.